There's so much in a heartbreak for you to just squeeze every last drop out of. There's so many insights. There's so much power there. You're right there, like your finger's on the pulse of life. The gift of grief is it helps you walk that edge of life and death. Life is one long practice of letting in and letting go. Hi friends, I'm Jillian, the host of Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up. Between landing your dream job, crushing your love life, learning to invest, mastering your mindset, and figuring out how to be happy along the way, there's a lot to navigate. I've learned firsthand that there's more than one way to adult, and it's not always linear. So consider this show my love letter to taking the unconventional route, creating new milestones, and carving out your own version of success. You're right where you should be. So join me every week as I call in the experts for unfiltered, game-changing advice on how we can all live our best lives. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi, friends. I hope everyone is surviving and thriving and that your new year has been off to a really amazing start. I'm so excited about this week's episode because I have long been an advocate for feeling your feelings and processing shit as it happens and just opening your heart up fully to the world. But I do have some blind spots. There are certain emotions that I know that I struggle to allow in and that I just avoid at all costs. And sometimes I also struggle to find the balance between sitting with my feelings in a healthy way and dwelling in them and just making a bath out of them and climbing right in for way too long. So it can be hard to be a very sensitive and empathic human these days. And some days It feels like a superpower, and other days I just wish I could flip the off switch. But I truly believe that embracing our feelings is so crucial to living fully. So today we are talking to the wonderful Ali Michelle, the queen of alchemizing emotions and heartbreak into beautiful art. And this was such a treat for me because I got to chat with an insanely talented friend and truly one of the loveliest humans that I've ever met. Not only is Ali a best-selling author, she has also managed at a very young age to harness the wisdom and voice of a thousand elders. Just wait to hear the interview. You will you will see what I mean. I met Ali on a writing retreat last year, and I knew I had to get her on the podcast because through her words and her wisdom and the resources that she shares, she just really captures the beauty of embracing the full spectrum of human emotions and of diving right into the core of heartbreak and to channeling all of that pain into a story that you can share with the world. And even though I'm constantly oversharing my own heartbreak all over Instagram, I am not the expert. So I called in Allie Michelle. Allie is a three times best-selling author and spoken word artist. She is one of my favorite poets of all time. I love her work. If you haven't seen it on Instagram, do yourself a favor and run. Do not walk to her Instagram. And she has a new book. It's a fantasy novel called Legends of Lemuria, and it comes out this February. I am so excited to read it. It's available now for pre-order on Thought Catalog, and I will definitely link it in the show notes. So check it out. She also runs the Pen to Publish program to help writers create, publish, and market their books. She's also a certified meditation, breathwork, and yoga teacher. You will hear in our interview just how much her breathwork sessions affected me. And goddamn, you should see this girl do yoga. It is next level. So keep listening. I really hope you take away as much as I did from this chat. Teach us how to embrace heartbreak and process our feelings, Allie.
Ali, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to spend time with you and to chat and very honored that we get to experience your wisdom and your beautiful heart today. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Any excuse to hang out with you. So, yay. I want to kick things off today by talking about feeling our emotions because that's something you and I both do a lot of. But even though it's normal for us, I think it can be a struggle for a lot of people out there. And I think we are both sensitive people and we have a lot of empathy. We absorb a lot of emotions. And I'm finally starting to embrace that sensitivity and that empathy as a superpower after years of letting it make me feel like I'm weak or like there's something wrong with me. And now I feel like it really is a superpower. But as our friend in Q says, our superpower can also be our kryptonite sometimes. So how have you worked towards a balance of feeling deeply without being consumed by that? Hmm. Well, I actually spent the first 20 something years of my life completely disassociated. So emotions have been something I have had to really practice actually leaning into Mm. because my first instinct is just avoid, withdraw. I'm good. Not so much anymore, but um, it's been a long journey. And so now I so treasure the fact that I can cry on cue when I'm watching a movie. Wow. That I have access to my emotions because I have this line and it's the woman who feels the most contains the most life. And I believe that I can't shut off these parts of myself and not give up parts of myself too. Yeah. And I'm just done apologizing for it. Holding my heart back is like as useful as trying to stop a tidal wave. Yeah, it's that. I I cherish them now. Yeah. Like with anything, almost like when you're on like a shroom trip and you try to fight it, the tension that comes up by trying to fight something is worse than just feeling it. And I find it the same with emotions. Like the tension of trying to repress and like push something back down is, is often more uncomfortable than just allowing yourself to go through it. But is there an emotion that you find still a bit sticky and a bit hard to work through more than any other? Yeah. Anger is the hardest for me to feel. Sadness, totally good with that. Mm -hmm. I can be the sorrowful poet looking out the window, but that feminine rage, when I tap into it, I call it the rage of a thousand ancestors. Mm -hmm. It is uncomfy. But at the same time, you know, it shows me, wow, one of my boundaries has been really crossed or I didn't show up for myself in this way. And so when I use it healthily, it becomes passion. Yeah. I think a lot of women feel that way. And now I'm seeing all of the ways that I have like compromised myself, like death by a thousand cuts by not speaking up, Mm -hmm. by not allowing myself to tap into anger. And yeah, I would agree that I think anger is one of the number one things that I want to learn to channel productively, like being a nice, good girl who like goes along with everything and avoids the discomfort of just being like, fuck no. Yeah. And I know you feel me because you're Canadian. I'm half Canadian. Yes. The nice girl archetype is so real, but I'm so sick of suffocating under a porcelain mask. And so, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to let myself be angry. I'm not going to throw it at someone, but I'm I can't shut off this part of myself anymore. Mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of people recently who are kind of now just dealing with things that happened a few years ago. And this has been like so many conversations I've been having people like, yeah, I'm going through a really tough time. I'm like, oh, what's been going on? And they're like, it's shit from years ago that's coming to the surface mm-hmm. right now. And I'm like, this happened in the past. Why is it hurting me so much now? Why is it happening? And, you know, I really do think it's because they never processed feelings and never learned how to process feelings as they were happening. So Obviously, it's so important to allow yourself to fully feel pain and loss or whatever it is that you're going through in the moment instead of pushing it down. But I want to get a little granular for people who don't know 
how to do that. Cause it's, it's easy to say, but for people who really throw themselves into work when shit's going down or get really, really busy, you've been through a terrible breakup or a death or a divorce. And it's like, well, I'm keeping myself really, really, really busy. And so no one learns how to sit with it and let those waves come over you so that you can work through it. Do you have any tangible like processes or any advice for people who are like, I wouldn't even know how to begin feeling things in the moment? Yeah, it's it's been a long journey. I did about 20 sessions of EMDR last year. And in the last one, we finally got to the disassociation and the feeling was freeze. And as I'm going back in time, because memories just come up while you're sitting there, things you didn't even know you remembered. Yeah. I saw these little statues of like me at 15, you know, in Frozen with Elsa. Yeah. It looked like that, these snapshots of time of when I cut myself off from life because I didn't feel safe. And then there was me at nine and me at three, just not feeling safe to be here. And so I was like melting each one, memory by memory by memory. And the last one, it was three-year-old me, this little girl. And she's like, you came back for me. And so it's that, it's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you. And that continual practice of like, this is for me. This is not for anyone else. Because I want to experience life as deeply as I possibly can. It's my job as an artist and I think just a human being. And it's terrifying for me. It's not my natural instinct again. But I've done enough work around it now where I'm like, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. The melting of it. That's really, really powerful because it's even like a visualization people can do is like going back and whatever that version or that barrier is just being able to like melt it down a little bit. And even the the inner child work too, it's something I resisted for a while. And when I was in therapy and they're like, you know, like, like let's go back to, you know, eight-year-old Jill and like, let's talk to her. And I was, I don't know why it made me so uncomfortable, but like, I just, I didn't resonate with it and I resisted it until I started applying it to other people and applying it to people who have hurt me or who I'm disappointed in. And there's one example of, of someone who I have a difficult relationship with and, and who's hurt me a lot. And I saw a picture of him as a child and I... I don't know, my heart just burst open for him. And I was like, what a tough life he's had. And that little child needed so much and he hasn't tapped into that and he hasn't healed himself. And so he's going to continue to, you know, put that hurt on other people. Flipping it onto other people allowed me to start applying that to myself more and allowed me to have so much compassion to every version of me throughout my life that needed help and love and needed to process things that she didn't know how to do. So even in one of your writing workshops I took, you took us through an exercise of what you were, what we were running from and what we were running towards. It was very, very powerful. And I realized that I was both running away from the me that I used to be and running towards this little girl that I wanted to like embrace. And it was like this full circle moment. Yeah. It feels so good because then she gets to be included I'm realizing this now, I'm like, my heart can make room for both. Even being a single woman, it's like, of course I experience longing. Of course I experience romanticization. And that's okay. That's the little girl in me that watched Disney movies and, you know, wanted this grand epic love. And then there's a woman in me that's like, no, this season is for you. Slow down and be with yourself because it'll never be this way again. Mm. And so making room for both of like, no, it's okay. You don't have to be independent bad bitch who doesn't need anyone it's like no you're welcome here yeah and you're not driving yeah the yes and is huge that's my that's my lesson of the year is many things can be true at once I also just want to reference two quotes that I always feel when I'm 
really wanting to work through something that feels uncomfortable and the quotes that come from you find the strength it takes to be soft that is so beautiful when you said that like I wrote it down immediately in the first page of a journal and like this journal is dedicated to celebrating the strength of softness it's so 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 beautiful and you also have said I've gone to the edges of my emotions and I didn't die from it fuck I needed to hear that yeah because sometimes it feels like I can't I just can't go there I can't go there but you can you won't die from it you won't and then you'll walk out the other side not afraid like I'm the people I'm drawn towards the most have braved their own wilderness and gone over those edges. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny, I actually wrote another version of that this weekend, and it was, I'm too soft to be broken because things that are broken are rigid. You're it's right. like glass. They can shatter easily. Mm. But if you're so soft and tender, nothing can snap you. Mm. Yeah, you're malleable. You flow. That's beautiful. As empaths, what do you think the line is between unhealthy and healthy empathy? Like, is there a line? When does it, when do we cross it? I think when an empath goes into victim mode of like, I took on this person's stuff and that there's just no accountability as though the world is just happening to you and you're this fragile thing. It's like, no, you're powerful and your sensitivity is your power yeah. and you can allow it to flow through you. And the truth is I don't always know what's mine and what's someone else's, especially if I'm in a large crowded room but I can breathe through it. I can plant both feet on the ground and I can trust that the emotion is informing me of something. And I may not know what it is right now, but I will soon. Mm. Yeah. That's powerful. Taking a second to like breathe and remind yourself what's yours and what someone else's. I'm very much still learning that. That Bathroom breaks help. Love that. Yeah. You know, at a party you go in, you're like, you have got this. Get back out there. The bathroom pep talk. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's amazing. When I first met you on a retreat in Mexico, which was a magical time that we got to, to spend together, the very first dinner that we had, I we were sitting together and you were saying that you had just gone through a breakup. And I remember saying to you, like, I'm really sorry you're going through this. It must be so hard for you to be here and be on for all of these people when you're going through heartbreak. And you had like the most beautiful response in the world and it has stuck with me. And you were like, I don't. I'm paraphrasing here, so I might butcher it, but you you were saying something to the effect of how you actually like to let yourself break open often and that heartbreak is something that you feel comfortable in because it allows you to experience so much of the world. And I was like, holy shit, we are so adverse as a society to heartbreak and pain. I wonder how much we're missing in that and how much you were like feeling and experiencing and alchemizing through that openness to heartbreak. So I want to dive into that because I think that's just so, so cool. What has heartbreak taught you and what do you think is born from heartbreak for you? Well, grief is showing you how much you love life because you can't feel where the walls of your heart are until they're filled by an ocean of loss. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I had no idea I loved this much. Love is a pretty powerless place to go to. Like if you don't pick the safe person, if you pick someone that you could be absolutely devastated and unraveled by, it's really scary. And I think it's also so much of why we're here. Like I said, because my tendency growing up was disassociation, the heartbreak, the grief, it washes away all of that bullshit. Any ounce of pretending or performative tendencies I have, I loved that retreat because I wasn't on. I was just there. Yeah. You know, I wasn't trying to curate a certain experience. And I think because of that, I had a really special connection with the people that came to it. 
How do you think heartbreak has affected, like when you're in the middle of heartbreak, how does it affect your growth? Like what comes out on the other side of it in terms of your relationship to love or to yourself? I have a line and it's, um, I no longer avoid the point of breaking. I say to the world, break my heart, break it so wide open that the whole world can fit between the pieces. And there's so much in a heartbreak for you to just squeeze every last drop out of. There's so many insights. There's so much power there. You're right there, like your fingers on the pulse of life in a way that it won't be unless something like that happens. And that's kind of the gift of grief is it helps you walk that edge of life and death and you can feel it. You're like, we only have so much time with each other. Mm. We only have so many hours together. I have to cherish this because life is one long practice of letting in and letting go and letting in and letting go. And so it's brave and it's inevitable if you care for something other than yourself that you'll go there. Yeah. I think it's Liz, Liz Gilbert that says the contract that you sign when you love someone is that you will lose them. Yeah. No matter what, one way or the other. And that's like the most beautiful part of love is that we still do it anyways. Mm-hmm. It's it's so powerful. It's like the most resilient act I think that we can do as humans. But I love what you said because it almost like is the inverse of what I saw impermanence as. We cherish the things that feel good because we know that they're they're fleeting and the good might leave soon. And, and everything that we love and everything that feels good, like you know, it will be over. It can't last forever, but so, so do the bad things. So that's a beautiful message that the heartbreak won't last forever. So rather than numbing myself and rushing through it, how can I like bask in this feeling that is not, that, that is, is finite and wring it for all that it has. I think we're quick to rush through everything that's uncomfortable, but there's some, some gold nuggets in there. That's where all the gold is, is in the discomfort. And, um, especially this time because he was such a good man and it was such a good relationship. I couldn't collapse my view of him. And I think we do that a lot with breakups. We collapse our view. We make a God or a demon out of them of either I wasn't worthy of them. They're this amazing person or like what an asshole. But if you can actually just allow yourself to maintain seeing them for all their humanity, it's so much more painful, but I think it's a really great way to honor the time you shared together. That's so true. I feel the the same way because I think we both kind of bonded over like ending relationships where there was not necessarily like this traumatic bad event that was like, we have to break up because of this. And there was still so much love, but we just weren't like walking the same paths into the future together that we wanted. And I think there's so many different types of heartbreak and they all hurt differently. But this was a a new form of heartbreak I'd never felt before that was really interesting. And I realized sometimes in order to let love live, you have to let it die. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. It's what I said to you out there. What an honor to experience what it's like to actually love someone with every cell in your body. Like, what an honor to surrender your sword for it. Oh, do you have a process for healing or coming back home to yourself after you go through a breakup? What does that look like? I always say the art will save you. And that's always my lifeline, no matter what. Because... If I'm experiencing so much pain that I can barely breathe, but then I write a poem about it, it relieves the pressure Mm. and it doesn't live in me so much anymore. And not only that, there's a beautiful piece of art somewhere that honors this thing that I experienced. So for me, beyond obviously like therapy and all these wonderful healing modalities like breathwork, nothing has helped me more than art. Anyone who's listening who's like, well, I'm, I don't, I'm not an artist or I'm not a writer. I think so much of what I've learned about 
healing and resilience and like post-traumatic growth even is finding meaning in what you're going through. So if you're not a writer, that's okay. How else can you find meaning? Maybe it's sharing what you've been through with other people who are going through something similar and supporting them. Or maybe it's writing a poem or taking up a new hobby or whatever it is. It's getting to the other side of it with like a, a piece of growth and something you can put back into the world that made something hard, beautiful again. What is your relationship with fear? I loved when I took your pen to publish writing course. You had um, an excerpt from Stephen Pressfield in it. Um, and he talks about fear as a good sign, which was such a great shift for me because fear to me is very uncomfortable. It's often in the driver's seat in my life. I've been really working to like unravel my relationship with fear. But sometimes when I have like so much fear and tension around something and I'm avoiding it, I'm like, well, then I just shouldn't be doing it. So I loved that reframe of like, it's actually an indicator that something means a lot and you have to do it. But I'd love to hear more about how fear plays into your art and your life and what your relationship is with it. I've always had a relationship of exposure therapy. My mom calls it the black slide because when I was little, she took me to Hurricane Harbor and I'm terrified of heights. And the first thing I did was pick the tallest slide I possibly could because I never want to be owned by it. And I couldn't have articulated that at however old I was, probably like nine. But I've always just physically leaned into it and moved through things. And I'm like that in everything. If I don't want to write about something, I'll write about it, Mm -hmm. you know. If I'm like, no, I don't want to fall in love again, it's going to hurt. It's like, well, you're diving head first now. Congratulations. So it's just exposure therapy. There's no magic formula. It sucks. It's like sitting in an ice bath and you're just like, and then a minute passes and you're like, oh, okay, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the more we do the hard thing, the more evidence we have that we can That we, we can, can do the hard things. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do the hard things. Do the hard things. That's thing. being an adult. Uh, adulting 101, 100%. Do, do the taxes. The hardest thing for me. <laughs> that is the hardest thing. Fuck. Although I found God in my accountant's office once, so that was fun. Tell me more. I was so anxious about dealing with my taxes because I don't like muggle things. Who does? But I really don't. And um, I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> don't like muggle things. Again, we're putting it on a t-shirt. Yeah, we need it. Um, my accountant's name is Alan and he's like a family friend of my parents. And I went to his office and I was so anxious and he could tell. And I walk in and I'm sitting there and I see all these samurai swords on the wall. And he like kind of looks and sees me noticing and he's like, yeah, I was in the war. And I saw all of my friends come back in body bags. And I decided then and there that I was never going to let the small stuff take my peace again. And so I call him Yoda now because every time I go there, he has some nugget of wisdom for me. And for an accountant, this yeah. man is so joyful. And I think a lot of the time, especially in the spiritual community, it's like, this is spiritual and this isn't and this isn't. Mm-hmm. I'm like, God is in the taxes and in the accountant's office. Yeah. Yeah. It's all of it. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's so easy to dismiss. And I'm, I've been guilty of this, like certain industries or certain just ways of living is like, you know, well, I'm sure there's not like a lot of enlightenment there or like, you know, you don't go there to get this beautiful insight. But yeah, it's everywhere. Because life really does just borrow people sometimes. Like I'll look in their eyes and I see the universe winking back at me. And that was one of those moments where I was like, God damn it. Now I have to learn how to do taxes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about storytelling, because whether you're using storytelling to alchemize what you're going through and just like move through it or because you're an artist and this is this is your art form. I feel like moving through our our feelings and our experiences and writing our own narratives is so important 
again, whether it's your profession or not, like our lives are an act of storytelling and you have such a unique, like beautiful, wise voice. I love it so much in your writing and the way that you speak. It is, it's so true to who you are from everything I know about you. It's really, really special. And I know I've struggled with figuring out what my voice is as a writer. And sometimes I share that with people and they're like, no, it's very clear. It's very clear what your voice is. I'm like, I don't see it. I don't know what my voice is. How do we find our voices as writers, ones that are really true to us and like hone in on that? By using it. This fantasy book that I have, I spent four years on it. I wrote multiple drafts of it. And the first draft was hot garbage. You know, (laughs) it was terrible. But the one thing I'll give myself credit for is I kept going. Mm. I really did. And that was how I found my voice. And I will be finding my voice for the rest of my life. Our voice evolves as we do. So there's no secret sauce with writing. You know, it's just keep your butt in the chair and keep going. And that's it. And figuring out like what resonates and like what really speaks to you, I think really helps. I love um, one piece of advice I've heard you give, which is where the sweet spot is, is where imagination meets the truth. Yeah. And I'm like, that is so valuable because I think sometimes my inner editor, and I used to be a magazine editor, so the, the editor in me is fierce and it wants every line to be perfect before I've even fucking finished the line. It can be debilitating. It wants perfection sometimes at the cost of truth. And so keeping in mind the truth, but then also allowing imagination in and allowing yourself to like think of things in different ways. I think that's so, it's like a very potent combo if we could prioritize those two things together. And the editor is useful. It just shouldn't live in the first draft. The first draft is for you and you should do whatever you can to get through it. Even if it's insert battle scene or insert (laughs) romantic moment, if you're getting stuck, like write it. Don't worry about anyone reading it. Don't worry about it being the next great American novel. Just write it because it'll make your soul grow and then go back in and polish it because you're going to do a million different drafts until this thing is ready. But the worst thing you can do is compare your first draft to a published book. It's just not fair because so many hands leave their fingerprints on a book before it comes out to Mm. make it what it is. It's kind of like the curse of being an artist, I find, is that most artists in whatever medium they work in have like really high standards for art Mm -hmm. and they know what great art is and then it becomes a battle of the first draft that you produce usually will never meet your standards and so it's so hard to keep going because you're like well this is shit and like and I know what I think good good art is and this isn't it honestly the way my mom taught me how to paint when I was a kid is we would do these portraits and she would have me start upside down and then sideways and I'd have to do every angle until it was a normal one wow. so that the editor couldn't creep in and be like, well, this is what a nose should look like. Uh, you know, you're just following the shape of it. Yeah. And so I try and do that with writing where I'm not looking at the entire thing as it should be. I'm just kind of going at it intuitively from all these different angles. Mm. I love that. It reminds me also of the the fable of the class that was divided into two and tasked with making bowls. And half of the class was tasked with making one perfect bowl. And then the other half of the class, make as many bowls as you can. It doesn't matter what they look like, just make them. And at the end of the class, the people that had to make the perfect bowl had struggled and the bowl was not very good. And the people who just made as many without any attachment to the idea of perfection had beautiful bowls by the end of it because they allowed themselves to just try 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 fail 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 until they got to a place where they're like this is how I'm going to do it and I always have to remind myself of that because 
you know, I mean, I think perfectionism is just a disguise, but it is a, a disguise that lives <laughs> very deeply in me. Yeah, and I think as artists, we're all waiting for permission slips. Mm-hmm. The other day, this girl, I wrote a bio for her because she's one of our clients, and she's like, you called me a poet. I'm not a poet. And I was like, you wrote a poetry book. You're a poet. And we're all waiting for someone to give us, like, a note from the principal's office that says, you are an author now. No one was going to tell me, hey, writing a fairy tale is super important. You should really prioritize that. That's a great idea for your career. <laughs> like, it makes no sense, but I wanted to. You have to just trust that your heart's a better compass than any other, you know, direction that you could go in. So, yeah. so outside of writing, I also feel like in everyday life, a lot of people have trouble finding their authentic voice just in how they show up in the world. And again, I think we usually want to present ourselves like, as perfectly as we can. And that's human nature. We spoke earlier about how we're trying to like peel back the layers on our messiness a bit. And I know obviously in practice that messiness is way more interesting. Like perfectionism is so fucking boring, but I still want to show up and seem perfect. Like the, the understanding of that and the like application are two different things. And I also think we wear a lot of masks in our lives based on all these different roles that we have. Like someone might be, you know, an employee, a mother, a wife, a friend, a daughter, an artist, all these different things. So we have all these layers. And when we strip them all back, sometimes we don't really know who the person is at the core. How do you find that authentic voice of who you are underneath all of these different identities that you hold? I made it my intention a couple years ago to wear the same face with every person. And that's been my practice for a while now. And I feel very fortunate because my friendships have such incredible intimacy and such huge containers for me to the point where I am so just disheveled and snot crying on my carpet <laughs> and FaceTiming my friends. Like, I don't know what to do. And I don't care because I know they love me. Yeah. And so it's a bit of a superpower when you've experienced that sort of unconditional acceptance. So that way, when you go out in the world, you're like, well, somebody loves me, so it's OK. <laughs> but I think the goal and the point of that is for you to be that person. True. You know, and for you to fall in love with those imperfections because you can't love a mirage. Mm -hmm. And if I can't feel someone's heart, if I can't feel who they are underneath, it honestly freaks me out. And I will run in the other direction if they're too perfect. I'm like, I don't know what's under there. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel safe. Whereas when someone's so upfront about all of their things, it feels safe because the truth is everyone has their flaws. It's just whose flaws you can embrace. Mm -hmm. And I think to the right people, those flaws like aren't even flaws a lot of the time. Like all of these things about myself that I don't like. For example, I'm really, really messy. And so that's like a, a turnoff for a lot of people who really care about organization. And then I ended up with someone who in his previous relationship had been with someone who is extremely type A and extremely particular. And he just felt trapped in in this home where he kind of always had to show up in a very specific way that wasn't his natural way of being. And so I'm sure there's days where my messiness was annoying, but it felt like he could breathe again when he was with someone that's just like, yeah, put your shit wherever you want. I don't care. It's all good. No, we don't need to clean up like before we eat dinner. Fucking let's have dinner. And so this insecurity that I had, that how's anyone going to be able to love all of my messiness, literally and figuratively? And when you find a person who jives with you and, and loves you for you, they're like, oh, thank God you have this because I needed this. Yeah. And it's um it's a character quirk, you know, perfection's a flat character. Yeah. We love our heroes that are messy and flawed. And it's funny you bring up the messiness. My friend's on um on Raya and so she's on the dating apps and she told me this guy had this bio that said, um, 
I have a thing for girls that are always a little messy and five minutes late. And I thought that was the cutest thing I've ever heard. I was like, match with him, go on a date with him. Yes. Yes. Um, So whatever is, you know, horrendous to someone else is just going to be something that's a quirk they fall in love with. Hit me up if you're that guy. (laughs) (laughs) You're that random unnamed man on Raya. Yeah. If you love someone who leaves hair ties everywhere and is always probably 15 minutes late, then. uh, Oh, the hair ties. I'll slingshot my hair ties across the room at the end of the day. I'm like, I'm done. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so funny. Do you have any advice for overcoming writer's block or just like moving through that wall of resistance that usually comes up for people when we're creating something a little scary? I think writer's block is intuitive because whenever I've had writer's block in my story, it's because I'm not supposed to tell it that way. Hmm. And so I actually did this thing. I wrote a song for the first time with this incredible musician. He's like Grammy award winning, probably written for every artist you can think of. And I was so nervous when he asked me to write a song with him because I was like, oh, this is gonna be terrible. I don't know. I've never written something on the spot with someone else in the room. And I was trying really hard to write something good or even reuse old lines I knew that it hit. And he's like, stop, just stop. And I was like, okay. He's like, listen. So he starts playing this song on the piano and I close my eyes and I see this scene kind of unravel before me. And I'm like, okay, I've got it. I know what the story is. And he goes, we'll write the last line first so you know where you're going. Oh, beautiful. And so we try and write these stories in a linear way, but oftentimes the first scene or the first hit of inspiration we'll get is in the middle of the book or the end of the book or whatever that is. And so I think trying to at least start somewhere else, like if you're stuck here, try somewhere else there, but just don't stop. Find a new way in. Find a new way in. That's beautiful. Is that the performance you did at Black Rabbit Rose? Yes, with Jacob. Oh my God, that that was was insane. One of the best nights of my entire life. I so wish I had been there. Well, I'm going to link the the post in show notes because everybody should watch this gorgeous, gorgeous performance. I had like, I cried. I had chills. I was just watching it on Instagram. Imagine being there in person. And then I went, I went to that venue and Jacob was playing, but obviously you weren't performing. And I was like, I just wish I could see what you guys created together. Well, I do that on Tuesdays sometimes. So you can come see. Hit me up next time. Oh, that's so, so cool. Well, what I love about Jacob is, the man is playing. And I asked him, I was like, how are you so courageous in your performances? Like, I, I want to get to that point in my performances. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, when an artist is doing a show and they sing the song exactly how it sounds on the record. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I hate that. It should be an adventure every single time. Yeah. So that's my goal now. If I'm performing or writing, it's like, this is a scary and risky adventure every time. Oh, I love that. Because otherwise we just get stuck, whether it's like on social media, trying to just hack the algorithm and do one thing works and then you just repeat that formula over and over and over again at the cost of your creativity and bravery and all of these things. And we do that in real life too. When you know like a performance hit in a specific way and it was well received, naturally we want to do it that way over and over again. Even if you're fucking baking a recipe and you're like, that recipe slapped. I'm just going to keep making that. We're missing out on so many adventures that we can take and so many different ways that we can live and experience things if we just stick to the one thing that worked and never, never take the chance. And that's my biggest goal now in my relationships and my friendships and my art is can I stay in real time with what's actually happening here and show up for that? Yeah. How do you deal with the, you talk about this often and and I, I totally relate to it, the vulnerability hangover, because I think vulnerability is so important, especially in this world that can feel really 
detached. It's hard to like get underneath the surface and like pry it open and look under the hood and be like, are we all feeling the same things? Can we talk about this? Can we share this more? And so I think vulnerability is so, so important, but then I also feel those vulnerability hangovers. So how do you navigate that? And and what does vulnerability mean to you? Vulnerability is where my power comes from Mm -hmm. and it's how I battle fear and it's how I actually stay in touch with who I am in this very moment. And I think vulnerability has a new publicist where it's this really popular thing now. And it has, (laughs) it has a place is the point I want to make. Like I'm not exposing my everyday life and experiences for the internet to consume anymore because I don't think that's actually vulnerability. I think it's exposed vulnerability. Hmm. Um, But my art can't be good if it's not honest. And so that is where my vulnerability gets to live the most. I'm so glad you share it because it's, it has moved me so much. It's, it's incredible. Thank you. So is yours. I love your poems so much. I have so much imposter syndrome about writing and I just, I don't know why and I don't know what's holding me back. And I've always just done this for me and I feel so compelled to now share and like to, to get out of my own way, but it's scary. It's hard. But I also think that that fear means I need to fucking do this because I'm doing everything but this, but this in my core is what I want. Well, you're a phenomenal writer. Like when I was introduced to you as, oh, and she does Adam's social media and this and that. And then you got up on stage. I was like, no, she's a writer. Oh my God, thank she you. is a writer. That is one of your greatest gifts and you have to use it because I think it's so painful when you don't. That's the right word for it. I had this like, crazy experience this summer where everything in my life was going fine. Nothing was wrong, but I was in like pain. The life I was living did not match up with the life that I want and the physical discomfort, that constant unease, the waking up in the middle of the night every night, literally just writing poems that all started with, I don't know whose life I'm living, but this isn't mine. Mm. And I'm on the other side of it now and I know what I want to do and it feels so good, but I've just never had this like unprompted crisis that unfolded and I'm so glad it did because I could have kind of kept just sleepwalking through my life if I hadn't like let myself feel like something's wrong and I'm like deeply unsatisfied with the way that I'm living and I have to change. I'm definitely a catastrophizer so it's very easy to be like well if it doesn't work out then like the world will end and like I'll be a failure. It's like if it doesn't work out everything's fine just do something else. So that's been um, a scary thing but I really think going on these retreats with with you and with NQ has like changed my life and opened it up to like what's possible. It's scary to flip your life upside down but one of my favorite books in the world it's called 40 Rules of Love by Alif Shafak and she it's the story of Shams and Rumi. Mm. Beautiful book but one of Shams's sayings is how do you know the side you're used to is better than the one that's to come. If you have any poems on your heart that you're interested in sharing, I would love that. I thought I'd actually do the Jacob one for you. Oh my God, I'm so happy. I've never had any poetry shared on this show. So this is... Well, I'm honored. You're the first poet. Okay, no pressure. It's okay. Oh, I'm so thrilled. Deep breath. (laughs) Every person we meet, we silently ask, will you love me? The question lies behind every action like a thousand scattered clues we hope someone will follow all the way into our hearts. And yet independence would convince us that we don't need each other. Like love isn't as vital as the air that we breathe. So we play little games. Asking the question in a joke we tell. A piece of art we make 
the music we listen to and the success we try to create? When did love become something we don't deserve? When did fear start pulling our strings and warp love into a contest of who cares the least? When did heartbreak become a shameful thing instead of a badge of honor that we tried for something? When do we start making a bond of each other? A successful relationship doesn't mean forever, it means transformation. Alone is the only time my heart isn't on loan, but the only way to escape this life unscathed is to never care at all. And so I say to you, break my heart. Break it so wide open that the whole world can fit between the pieces. When did love become something we don't deserve? When did love become a dirty word? Oh my God, you make me so emotional with your words. Thank you so much. That's good. That means I'm doing my job. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. We were just talking about this at lunch, but this whole idea that we have like constructed in society that it's just cool not to care and that caring is, you know, embarrassing and just be chill. I'm not fucking chill. I'm not able to be chill. No chill. I don't want to be chill. I'm like, I will fall in love so easily, but the difference is like, I don't have to put an expectation on someone, yeah. but I'm fully going to allow myself to go there and feel it. What else am I here to do? Yeah. Yeah. Because love is not a dirty word. It's not a dirty word. Yes. And um, so that came from his song that it's dirty word. And that's the opening chorus is when did love become a dirty word. Mm. So I thought about it in my life. I'm like, what are all the times that it was a dirty word for me? Fuck yeah. And how can I rewrite that narrative? One Last thing that we always ask our guests is what's something you wish you'd learned in school that you did not? How to breathe. I wish someone taught me how to breathe. I think that would see me through the rest of the things. Your talent and skills around leading people through breath work is so powerful. I've done a lot of different breath work exercises and like modalities throughout my life and went to an ashram in India and did like deep, intense breath work. And it was so powerful. Like I was high. My pupils were dilated. When I, I'm sure it's like the science of, of certain kinds of breath deprivations. But when I went to the bathroom after I did this like insane breathing technique, it's like I look like I just dropped and like went to a rave. And I'm yeah. just and I like everything felt like goosebumps all over my body. Mm-hmm. Like the birds chirping outside were in stereo right in my ears. Like it made me so alive and it was so powerful. And then I tried to bring that back home and I lost it for years. And then when you led us through a breathing exercise in Mexico, I remember you you kind of gave people a bit of an out. You're like, if this is too much, you can kind of do this. So, you know, you don't need to do it the whole time. I'm like, well, what's just what's going to happen? We're just breathing. Holy shit. I was not prepared for like the exorcism that occurred when everyone in the room. Yeah. It was so powerful. And so knowing like the scale of like the types of experiences you can have with breath work on one end, which are so cathartic and move so much out of us that's that's lingering and I I was like I'm fine everything's gonna I'm fine <laughs> it's fine I'm fine I have nothing to fine. work through right now I'm gonna be fine I was fucking bawling and my body started going numb and I was like feeling all of these feelings it's so powerful and you're such an amazing practitioner what you said in a in a podcast one time that like I can't believe we've only learned how to breathe enough to stay alive yeah that's we all just breathe enough to survive that's it and And I was like oh shit true isn't that absurd we're walking around just literally like this is what I need to do to exist and I shan't do any more than this (laughs) what could we unlock surely not (laughs) surely not very good (laughs) very good (laughs) so yeah I I feel that really hard I'm into that 
Okay. Please tell everybody what you're working on, what you're excited about. Tell us about your upcoming fantasy novel, which I am so, so excited to read. I just saw the cover and it looks absolutely stunning. Thank you. Pimp yourself out. Tell us everything. Basically, Zaya Alexander is living in a future dystopia in crumbling ruins, playing the world's most addictive and illegal virtual reality game. After the loss of her mother, she plays it for her shot at freedom. When she wins the game, she discovers a map that leads to Lemuria, which is a real fantasy world where her mother happens to be alive. Mm. And there are dragons and assassins and fairies and two princes who try to win her heart. And what's it called? Legends of Lemuria. It has a little bit of everything I love in it. You know, I grew up reading The Alchemist and all these very spiritual books with so much wisdom. And I also grew up reading Sarah J. Mass and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and The Hunger Games. And I wanted to combine the two so that my daughter someday can pick up this book and have a blueprint for everything I want her to know in life. Mm -hmm. And that was the person I was writing it for. That's so beautiful. It has a little bit of everything. It's um, a female hero's journey for sure. But the opening of the book is don't strip away my humanity by making a hero out of me. And so all of the characters, it's not one is good and one is evil, and this is clear and this is terrible, and everyone has a little bit of good and a little bit of bad and what that inner battle looks like. And I think the biggest thing is she's learning to trust herself to navigate these situations because that's something we don't often teach our children is trust yeah. yourself before any authority or any of this. Like trust that guidance inside and then as far as romantic relationships, I love fantasy books, but I see so many of these toxic relationships of like kind of an Edward and Bella archetype of, yeah. oh, I'm just a damsel and who would ever love me? And then <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. like, I'm going to lock you in a house and keep you safe. And I'm like, that is not what I would <laughs> like to teach up. my kids. <laughs> yeah. It's fucked up. And this is why I had a fucked up, you know, couple of relationships because yeah. I thought that was love. hundred um, percent. So I wanted to create a healthy example of what a beautiful, healthy all-encompassing romance looks like. Mm. Oh, I'm so happy that you're writing this. It's beautiful that you can weave together really important messages with your love of fantasy because I would like to, on record, let J.K. Rowling know that I wrote the second Harry Potter book before she did. Wow. <laughs> there you go. I was very young. I was probably, I don't know, like 11, and I'd read the first one, and the second hadn't come out yet, and I was so impatient. I was like, I can't wait any longer. I'll just write it and mail it to her. <laughs> Like I'm so I'm wow. such a little shit as a child, right? And I spent like the whole summer writing the sequel in like I really didn't even know how to print properly. So it's just scribble. I loved Harry Potter so much. So the the beauty that comes through fantasy. I mean, it's Harry Potter that taught me that I my greatest fear is fear itself. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's powerful. It's always just the fear of people seeing my fear that's the biggest fear and that was you know what what harry's kind of fear was as well so there's just there's so many beautiful gems hidden within fantasy stories so i'm so excited when does it come out it comes out late february um but it's available for pre-order by the time this comes out it'll be available so I'm excited, though, because to your point, we're being preached at so much about this is wisdom and this is your, your path and your purpose. And stories don't do that. They quietly invite you to climb inside of a character and empathize with them and learn whatever you're meant to learn. Yeah. And so I think they're so much more powerful. And I just want to see what it looks like when there's a strong female lead that doesn't sacrifice her femininity or a really strong male warrior who doesn't have to hide from his emotions, you know, and like mm. show me these healthy examples of these people so that I can at least start to look for that in my real life. Yeah. 
I can't wait to read it. I can't wait for your, your tour when it comes out. And where can people find you online? My Instagram is Ali Michelle L. The book is being published through Thought Catalog and um, TikTok's just Ali Michelle author, I think. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. And then you also do We Are Warriors and yeah. Pen to Publish, yeah. which are both incredible resources for people. Thank you. We Are Warriors is my community I have with my sister Alexis, and it's um, just a women's wellness community. So it's just a group of women getting together every Friday, talking about our lives and where we need support. And then Pen to Publish, we basically have a course that teaches you how to publish your book step by step, market it, edit it, write it. And then we also have a service where we'll publish it for you. So those are the main main things. I took the course and it was the most incredible resource. And it absolutely like jump-started the book that has been trying to come out of me for a really long time. Thank you for what you do. And I'm just such a big fan of you. You're such a beautiful person. And I'm so grateful to know you and to get to talk to you today. I feel the same about you. You're such a phenomenal poet and friend and just an inspiring presence for all of us. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Oh, I love you. Thank you. I love you. There you have it, friends. Thanks for listening and make sure you're following along on Instagram at Teach Me How to Adult Media and on TikTok at Teach Me How to Adult. If you like what you heard today, it would mean so much if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. It really helps us grow the show. And if something in this episode really resonated, text it to your friends or screenshot it and share it on social. Wherever you are in your adulting journey, just remember you're not alone. My DMs are always open and I would love to hear from you. So hit me up with any topics or guests that you would like to hear about. See you next time. Bye.